This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Have you ever forgotten an appointment, something that was very, very important? Maybe you forgot to uh, put it in your calendar. Maybe you told somebody you would meet them or do something, and uh, you just completely forgot. Well, there's been a few times, and I'm someone that goes by the calendar. I mean, I look at my appointments, I follow it, and now with our smartphones and, and, and all of our devices, it's easier to keep up with our schedule. But there's been many times that for some reason or another, I would forget an appointment. Now, for someone like myself that, that is driven by the appointments and by the schedule and, and busyness and all that happens, I mean, I go into a terror when that happens. Anybody else can identify, just kind of give me a wave in the building or, or uh, just give me a thumbs on your screen there. I mean, when that happens, I mean, I go into terror. A couple weeks ago, I uh, had an appointment, an important appointment. And I was walking the, the dog, and as I was walking the dog, I looked down at my, my, my clock, and for some reason, I misread it, and I thought it was an hour later than what it was. I mean, I panicked. I, I panicked. In fact, I, we have a little bitty uh, dog. I mean, I was dragging that dog back, you know, to the house. I mean, poor thing, you know, was trying to do his thing. And I would, no, we got to go. Come on, we got to go. And we were running back to the house. And I got inside. I got ready. I was getting ready to rush out the door. And I got in my car. And then I looked at the clock in my car. And it was like an hour earlier. And I was like, an hour earlier, I was right on time. But the panic that went over me. All right, I got another one. How many of you parents, if you have teenagers, you might identify, you ask your children to do something. Take out the trash, clean their room, you know, uh, walk the dog, cut the lawn, do a chore or something. And they say, yeah, mom, yeah, I'll do it in a moment. Anybody can identify with me. And then two hours, three hours go by, they never do it. Anybody can identify I mean, like that selective hearing. And then you say later, well, I, I asked you to do this and you said you would. I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. Right in the middle of your gaming, you said it. I mean, how many? We all know they say yes, but they don't follow through. Well, today's story is a parable. A parable, honestly, I've never preached on a parable that uh, was very intriguing as we began to look at this journey that we're going to be on for the next few weeks, and that is the way of the one. There's one way, and I'm not going to be talking about the one way today, but the way of the one, and Jesus gives us a story, has many different meanings, but I'm going to focus in and narrow in in a certain part of this story. So turn with me in your Bibles or click over Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 and verse 28 is the parable. Now, a lot's happening around the context. I don't have a lot of time to set all the context up, but a lot is happening, and Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the the followers that are there, those, uh, uh, those that were trying to entrap him. A lot is taking place around this story. And so Jesus says in verse 28, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today out in the vineyard. 
Go do your chores today. Son, these are the chores that I want you to do. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and he went. If you're taking notes, you may want to underline that. He changed his mind. It's linked to a later verse where it deals with the heart of repentance. So he repents. He changes his mind and he goes. Then the father went to his other son and he says the same thing. And the second son says, yes, sir. But he never went. But he did not go. Jesus asked the question, which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Well, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came, he came to you to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you still did not repent. You still did not change your mind and do and believe in him. To believe him, John, and, and believe in me, Jesus is saying. If you go down a, a few more verses, down to uh, verse 45, he'll go into a second story that has other parallel meanings with this first parable. But in verse 45, same context, same story, same event. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. The question I have for you today is, which son are you? Let me give you a little bit of the narrative, a narrative part of our story today. This is a simple parable, and it's very, very clear, and yet it has several different meanings. The father, of course, represents the Lord. Jesus likens the first son to the prostitutes or to the uh, uh, tax collectors, that is to the non-believers, to the, those that are not following Christ. At first they reject, but then they change their mind, they're moved in some way, and they turn to him. The second son represents supposedly the Christ followers those that are religious, those that are self-righteous maybe even, those that have made a profession of faith, they've claimed to be Christ followers. He says to them, go out and work. I want you to go do your chores. I, I want you to go do what I'm asking. Now, when you read this in the original, it's, uh, it's what's called the emphatic imperfect. It means that there is no option to what God is asking them to do. He's asking them to go and work, go out and work in my vineyard, in my, in my, in my harvest. And there was no choice for them. They, they have to do what the father was asking. There was no other alternative. So here, the sons are, are challenged to go out and work for the Lord. And we know in scripture, as Christ followers, as disciples of the Lord, that the harvest is plentiful. It is great, but the laborers are few. Can I say it another way? In our story here, there are many laborers that are not laboring. There are many laborers who are called to go and say they will go and will have powerful worship times and times of commitment and times of dedication, and yet they don't go. So Jesus says in the story to them, today, I want you to go. 
It's not something for a far off. It's not something for, uh, for, for next week. It's like telling your children, I want you to do your chores today. Here's the list of what I want you to do. And they say, yes, I will. And then they don't. No, he's saying today, I want you to do it. Not next week, not next year. Today, I want you to go. Because the idea of the harvest is if we delay and if we wait, then it will be too late and the harvest will rot in the fields. And therefore, all of us, the challenge is to realize and to see that the harvest is a harvest that's got to be reaped today. And yet something comes over us and we, 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 we like the, the, the second son will make commitments sometimes and yet we don't go. Scripture tells us that today is the day to work. Today is the day of salvation. There's a time coming, night is coming when no man can work. I want you to go out into the harvest. The harvest is the work of God and it's the, it's that which God calls you and I to. And as a messenger of hope, as one that says, God, we are Christ followers and you've given your love and your grace and your mercy and salvation to us. There's something in us that understands the mandate, the, 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 the emphatic imperative of there is no other option. As a servant and a follower of Christ, I must go out. Can I hear an amen? So the first son in that moment of rebellion says, no, I won't go. At least he says it up front, right? Now, he, 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 he says, no, I won't. Why does he say that? Well, we don't know, but there is something that's, that, that, that is holding him back. Maybe it's a, a selfish thoughts. That's the, the word that I was looking for in my mind there. Maybe it was his own, uh, uh, his own schedule, his own things he wanted to do. Maybe things that he desired to do, and that's not something that he wanted to do. And yet something happens, and in our story, he changes his mind, and he goes. The change of mind is linked to repentance later in the story. He repented, they repented. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, those that aren't following Christ, realize that there is only one way to get peace with God and grace, and they repent, and they change their mind, and they turn to God. So here, it's likened to this first son who says at first, no, he rejects, but then he has a change of mind. We've been looking at this idea of repentance throughout this entire year because it's something that's got to be a bedrock for you and I that we understand that it's through repentance that we come into the grace of God and the mercy of God. What are we repenting on? Well, we're repenting of the sin that we have committed, how we have violated the commands and the laws and the ways of God. That which God says, this is the way I want you to go. And when we rebel, when we don't walk that way, then the Bible says that that is sin. But then there comes something that brings a revelation the Spirit illuminates to you and I that we are isolated, separated, alienated from God because of our sin. That sin that has violated the way of God, the, 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 the purposes of God, that sin is the very thing that separates us. And in that illumination, in that moment where we realize it, there is a change of mind. There is a turning away from sin and turning to God where we realize that we're on the wrong path. We're going the wrong way, and we've got to get on the right path. When Pastor Candy and I first moved to Europe as missionaries, the uh, 
public transportation system was buses and trains and, and uh, we were just learning German and I was just learning uh, how to, to get on the right train, to go the right direction, to go the right way. And sometimes if you got on the wrong train, some of you that come from uh, the North, New Jersey, uh, New York, Boston, Chicago, some of these places that have subway systems, you'll understand a little bit better. If you get on the wrong train, you'll be going in the wrong direction and, 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 and I, and I got got on the train out in the country one day and and when I got on the train I thought I was going in the right direction where I needed to go and I realized after I was on the train I was going in the wrong direction well in that moment there was a conscious decision of understanding I'm going in the wrong direction I've got to get off the train to get on the right train to go in the right direction That's what happens to this young man in the story is he realizes there is a change of his mind and he has to turn from the direction he's going to go in the right direction. Well, what changed? Well, we don't know what changed in him, but he has this encounter with God and God awakens him somehow to that and here we see it's linked to the word repentance, to to, to doing what God wants him to do. Now we know, we've looked at it throughout the year on multiple occasions, that God will use many different things to get our attention. He'll, he'll use many different things to speak to us and to reveal his will and purpose so that there'll be a change of our mind, a change of our heart, so that we'll get on the right train, go in the right direction, turn from our sin and turn to God. One of the things that God uses the most in our lives is his word. The word of God, even in moments like this, that it's illuminated. It's preached, it's shared, and God begins to use it to bring conviction into our heart. The Holy Spirit's work is a work of conviction where he's, he's, he's wooing and he's leading and he's guiding and he's speaking to you and I. And through the, the moments like we've even had today, moments of worship and praise, moments of, of, of soaking in his presence, the Holy Spirit begins to bring revelation. A, another word for you is illumination. He illuminates God's will, God's purpose, the word of God and God's ways for you and I. And I love that, amen? I love when God does that in my life. Another thing that God will use in our life is circumstances and situations. I'm telling you, when you go through certain circumstances and situations, you've got to open your ears, open your eyes, open your spirit and say, God, I want to hear from you and I want to know what you're saying because God will use that situation. Even in crisis, even in times of trauma, even in a global pandemic and what we've gone through, God is still speaking and he's illuminating and he wants to show you and I what his will is and we've got to open our ears, hearts and eyes to hear what it is. And God will always use the body of Christ. He'll use other people in our life that... that, that will come in and and the rub of their life with our life will begin to reveal to us what God's will is. So the first son says, uh, uh, I won't go. But then he has this change of heart and mind and he decides to do it. The second son says, I'll go. Yes, sir, I'll do it. And then he doesn't go. He immediately responds, but then he's zealous at first. At first, it's, oh, yes. Yes, I'll do it. And then something happens and he doesn't go. He never goes out to do the will of the Lord, what the Lord asked him to do. 
Well, again, Jesus says, the harvest is great, the laborers are few. Now, what Jesus is talking about is that there aren't a few Christ followers, there are a few laboring Christ followers, laborers who are laboring in the harvest field. The harvest is great, but few are actually going. So when you look at this parable, all of a sudden, you begin to see that Jesus is dealing with something that you and I have got to pause and say, God, which son am I? Which one am I? Am I one that says yes and then doesn't go? Am I one that rebels at first and and resists at first and says no at first and then I go? Which one am I? Well, this is a powerful story and I wanna wrap up by giving you three lessons. When you begin to look deep into this and you think about the way of the one, the way of the one is the one that honors God. The way of the one is the one that, that does the will of the Father. The way of the one is the one that comes into alignment with the will, the plan, and the purpose of God. The way of the one. Can I tell you the way of the one starts by walking a road of obedience. See, we talk about it a lot because I believe it's the challenge that we have in our society and in our lives today. Because obedience is seen not in the words that we speak, but in this parable we see that obedience is seen in our actions. The point that Jesus is making is that we wanna do, if we're going to do, if we're gonna say yes to the will of God, it's more than simply a matter of our words, but it comes down to a matter of our deeds. Now, it's not a work to earn our salvation. Salvation comes by grace through repentance. As I explained, we're on the wrong road. We turn and we turn back to God. We're not dealing with an issue of salvation here. No, we're dealing with an issue of obedience. You see, these religious leaders that we look at, they knew what the right reply was, but the problem was their lives didn't match their lips. Their deeds didn't match what they say. In fact, a lot of times we hear uh, uh, that uh, we, we, uh, we, we have to talk the talk, but walk the walk as well. We walk the talk, not just talk the talk. Filipino pastor of ours in, Phil- uh, in the Philippine congregation in Vienna used to say it all the time, and it just rings in my, my ears that, 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 that what I say is one thing, but what I do is a totally different thing. Have you ever heard talk is cheap? That's right, talk is cheap. Deeds proves one's intentions and what is really true. Anybody can say the right thing, but God is looking, and in this parable, he's pointing out which one did what the Father asked of him. When you look at our scriptures, I think it's in your outline, James 2, 17, faith by itself is dead if it's not accompanied by action. James 2, 26, a few verses later, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. See, many say yes with their mouths, but their lives and their actions are saying no. So when I come back to the title, which one am I? I've got to stop and evaluate, am I living my life and am I walking in accordance? Am I doing what the Father has asked me to do? 
Am I quick to raise my hand, sing the songs, praise him, and take on that religious? You see, he was attacking the religious, and religion is doing the right things. Religion is just a a form of godliness, but it's something that comes more from my lips and more from my my mouth than what it comes to the, the realization of what I'm doing and how I'm living in my life. You see, what I do is more important than just what I say. I gotta talk the talk and walk the walk. It's a road of obedience. That road of obedience really is easier to walk when I, when I understand the second road. And the second road is a road of lordship. I can obey when I really understand and come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, what God desires most in your life and in my life is lordship. Now, what is lordship, pastor? Well, lordship is where I yield my will to the master. In fact, John 14, Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So here we see once again this idea of linking our love for God to our obedience to God and it is seen in submitting our will, coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The definition of lordship is that one has absolute supreme authority in our life. And so if I've yielded to him, I've I've yielded my will, what I'm saying is God, you are the Lord of all. I yield my plans, my vision, my dreams, my purposes. I yield it to you. See, lordship, surrendering to him is saying, God, I want you to be exalted in every area of my life. Jesus says it this way in another passage of scripture. In fact, we're going to look at it a little bit more in detail next week. But in Matthew chapter seven and verse 21 He says it this way, not everyone who calls out to me, Matthew 7, 21, calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We've got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. What Jesus is gonna point out here is that it's about lordship. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who break God's law. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follow it is wise, like a man who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rains will come and the turrets and the winds and the floods will rise and the winds will beat against the home, it will not collapse because it is built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. It's like a man who builds a house on the sand And when the rains and floods come and the winds begin to beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Powerful, powerful. What he is saying is if we don't do 
what we say, if we don't live what we determine in our hearts that we believe, then it's like the foolish man that's building his house on the sand that when the winds and the rains and the floods begin to come, it will crash down. It's a powerful, powerful verse. In fact, he says here, and he's making reference, I don't have time to go real deep, but he says on judgment day, on judgment day, many will say to me, What judgment day is he talking about? Is he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Not the day, the great white throne judgment. This is not a matter of uh, of are you saved, how you've believed, how you've confessed your Lord, uh, Lordship, and, and have you received him as the Lord of your life. But the judgment seat of Christ is referring to the day that believers will come before the Lord and our lives will be evaluated. It will be an exhaustive evaluation of our lives for believers. It's not a matter of salvation, it's a matter of rewards. In fact, on judgment day here, it's referring to, and I'm gonna use this stool, it's referring to the day that believers will come to what's called the, 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 the judgment seat, the bima was the, the original word. And it, it was a day as though you would sit on the seat. And, and as you would sit there, all will be judged by Christ. In fact, Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for all, for all must stand before Christ to be what? Judge. That's the day of judgment. You will sit on the, the bema, the, the seat of judgment. And each one will receive whatever they deserve for the good or evil which they have done in the body. Now again, this is not a judgment of whether you will be in heaven or not. This judgment is all about rewards. Rewards you will receive or rewards that you will lose. I'm reminded of a story of many of you that are parents will will. Remember those award ceremonies at the end of a school year where you go and your children are, are receiving awards? I remember one year, <clears throat> one of our sons, uh, we, were, we, were, we, were, uh, we were in Vienna, we were at the school, and um, it was, I won't say which one, uh, but one of our sons <clears throat> received an award, and Candy and I always went to the award ceremonies. We always tried to be at their, their events, sporting events, whatever it may be, and, and we were sitting out there, <clears throat> and of course, we didn't know what awards that they were going to get, and one of our sons received the award of being the, I, I forget what they called it, but he was the cleanest, the most tidiest, he was the greatest helper, and I literally gasp, I, verbally, aloud. I said, what? <laughs> I mean, I leaned over to Ken. Are they talking about our son? <laughs> and so on the way home, I said, son, <laughs> what happens when you go to school? Because that's not how it is when you're at home, right? But I'm reminded of the teacher that at the end of the year, when it was award ceremony, the way they would do it, is that teacher would have each one of the students come and sit on a stool. And as he would sit there or she would sit on the stool, the teacher would begin to read all of the qualities of that one. Everything that was positive and good about that one that they had seen or, or observed or, or about them from that whole year. And they would sit there while everybody would hear that for that class. That's like the Bema seat. 
where you will sit on judgment day and there will be an, evo- and, 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 and there will be an, uh, an evaluation, an exhaustive evaluation of our life. Not will you be in heaven or not, but the rewards that you will receive or lose on judgment day. As I was writing this sermon this week, I couldn't help but think of that movie. Maybe you saw it many years ago, the movie of Schindler's List. The Polish businessman who uh, used his money in his factory and in his workplace to save many of the Jews that would have been sent to the concentration camps. Candy and I have been to those camps throughout Austria and even up into Poland. I mean, it's horrible places. And when you read and, 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 and see what was happening in those days and those times, when you go with us to Jerusalem and Israel and we walk uh, through the, the Holocaust Museum and, and you just see of all of the atrocities and the evil in man's heart, Boy, it still continues to today. We're still fighting it here in America and around the world. And it's been in our, it's, it's been in our history of America and in the history of the world for so long. And, and, and there in the Holocaust, you see and you feel the pain. And in this movie, Schindler's List, there's a point in the movie where he's facing all of those that he has saved. If, if you've seen the movie, you can Google it later. Some of you are already Googling it, you know? And, and, and there's that scene right there where he says, I could have done more. I didn't do enough. He says, this watch, this pen, this could have saved two, one. It could have saved one, it's all gold. And he's talking about all that he could have done. And his assistant, who was also a Jew, said, you did so much. Look at all these that that have been saved, over 1,100 that he had saved from going to the concentration camps. And he was broken, and he was in that moment where he said, I could have done more. There was more I could have done. I believe on judgment day, we're going to sit in that moment like Schindler's List and there's going to be a realization for you and I that because he's the Lord of our life and because of what he's done for us, we have been called to go into the harvest and to do what he asks for us. What's the motivation? It's not the reward. No, the motivation is because of a love for God. The motivation is because of what he's done and because of who he is and because of the grace and the mercy. Because of that, I come to a place, Jesus said, like the prostitutes and the tax collectors that at first I reject, but then there's a moment of realization. I'm sitting on the beam of seat and I realize what he's done and there's a moment that moves me into obedience and submission to the master. Why do I do it? Why do you do it? Why do we work in the harvest? Why do we respond to what God is asking us? Because of our love for him. Can I hear an amen? It's our love for him. It's a desire to know him. It's a desire to walk in his ways, to love him more, and to give our hearts to him. Well, the third and final thought that comes to me out of this scripture is that When we walk the road of obedience and we understand the road of lordship, it really does bring us to a road of peace in our life. Now, what are you talking about, Pastor? Peace. I'm convinced the more I walk with God, the more I preach and and, and share God's word, the more we counsel and pray and, and walk with people, I'm convinced that if we understand the road of lordship, 
if we come to a place of walking on that road of obedience, that we yield our will to him and we surrender to his will and plan, we walk according to his ways, that our desire is to honor him, to fulfill his purpose. When we really live our life like that, that that road becomes a road of peace in our life. Shalom, peace. That the turbulence of life doesn't affect you and I because that peace is a peace that's rooted in the joy of the Lord. Oh yes, there's storms. Oh yes, there's waves that are crashing, but we've built our house on a solid rock. And because we walk a road of obedience and we're walking a road of lordship, that the winds will come, the rains will crash, the floods will rise, but we will not fall. Why? Because of what we built our house upon. It's a road of peace. You know what? You know what really burdens and, and, and hurts my heart as a pastor is to walk with people that are walking through so many difficult situations and know that they could have avoided that if they would have walked the road of obedience, if they would have come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the consequences that have brought so much turmoil in their life, that could have been avoided and they would have been on a road of peace. You see, there's benefits. Two in particular that I leave you with this morning. The, word, the first is that when we walk this road, the way of the one, the servant that's been, that's been called and responds, that there is a power, Christ's power, that comes into our life and in our own weakness, in our own struggles, peace comes into your life. When you yield to the Lord like that, there is a peace that comes. How do I know that I'm yielding? How do I know, pastor, that I'm yielding my will? See, it's easy for me to say it, but how do you know when you're really doing it is a simple evaluation in your life. The evaluation is how attached to the world are you? Are you more attached to the things of the world and to the values of this world and to the, to the things that are in this world than you are to God? Then the reality is that you've got to yield a little bit more. In fact, scripture says he's got to become greater and greater and greater and I've got to become less and less and less. In fact, in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 it says it this way, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you don't really love God. You see, when you do that, you're showing that where your love and your commitment for all of these worldly things, these evil desires, then he starts mentioning them. These are not from God. No, they're from the evil world itself. The evil world is the values of this world, the systems of this world, the things of this world, the passions and the pleasures of this world, the things that push us to, to live a life that, would, that, that, that would, would be that which others would look at, the pride of life. He says all of these things, these values, these systems, these things, they're not from God. You see, when we yield, when we walk a road of obedience, 
what begins to happen is all of a sudden we begin to realize that the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, the anointing of Christ becomes a power and a strength that enables you to walk and live a life of peace. A second benefit, when we walk a road of lordship, and we understand the road of obedience. You see, it's so easy to find ourselves like, like the religious Pharisees in the story. I mean, here they are. They knew the right things. They might have even said the right things. They didn't do what the Father wanted them to do. But when we begin to walk that road, there is a powerful transformation that begins to take place in my heart. Christ's transforming work in my life. And that brings an emotional peace. That brings a confidence and a strength in who I know that he is in my life. Let me finish with this last verse. Colossians chapter three and verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You've accepted Christ. You've yielded to Christ. You've surrendered to Christ. Set your hearts on things above. That's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things, not on the earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in all of his glory. You see, when the things of Christ consume our life, the believer's life, our minds, and that we're, 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 we're yielding our will to him, to the Lordship, and we're walking in obedience, there is a peace. And it begins to transform your emotions. Today, my prayer is that God, I would be, I would be a servant that honors you, that my life would honor you. God, I would yield my will. I would surrender to your Lordship that God, you'll give me strength in my will to do what you've asked me to do. And I'll walk that road of obedience. Would you pray with me? And I want you to make that same prayer with me today. Right where we're at, before we take a few moments to conclude our service, which one are you? I think the story hits all of us. And it's easy to say, God, I, I do what you want. But I think if we all pause and we say, Father, reveal Help us, strengthen us, enable us that God, we would be the ones that would walk with you and serve you and do what you want us to do. That God, today you would be glorified in our life. Today, be honored. Right where you're at, I want you to begin to yield your will. Yield to the Lord, yield to his lordship. Just begin to, right where you're at, say, Lord, I surrender all to you. I commit my life to you. Lord, help me not only to say it, but help me to live it and to walk with you. Today, God, we honor you. We worship you. We praise you. We glorify you. For any that are not walking with God today, you've never surrendered your life to Christ today. 
I ask you to pray this prayer with me and say, Father, thank you for the revelation of salvation. And today I make a determination to change my life, to change my thinking, to, to turn to you because in you is salvation. In you is peace. In you is eternal life. And I ask you to come into my heart, come into my life, forgive me. Forgive me of how I've rebelled. Forgive me, God, where I've been saying no to you. And today I determined to say yes. Yes to you, oh God. Yes to your ways. Come into my life, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and bring me into a place of right relationship with peace and unity with the Father through forgiveness of sins. Today I ask you to break the power of sin over my life and over my heart. And I commit to you and all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. Give the Lord a praise for a moment. If you just prayed with me, maybe you're watching online right now, we wanna help you. If you know that you're not where you needed to be and you prayed that prayer with me, that there are things that you desire God to do in your life, to turn your life around, then we wanna walk with you. Will you do me a favor and take your cell phone, take your smartphone, and will you text the word salvation? You'll see the number coming on the screen. Here in the auditorium, you can do the same. And as soon as you text the word salvation, it'll give us an opportunity to be praying with you, to believe with you, to walk with you, and to believe God's gonna do a greater work in and through your life. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.